You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. And so if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you at home to take a Bible, open a Bible, uh, set the device down there so that there's not the urge or the uh, opportunity to be distracted. And let's just give the, our, our attention to the Lord. I think that's a good practice every time. Genesis 32 is where we'll be. Also turn to James chapter 4. We'll be in James 4 toward the end. So G- Genesis 32 and then James chapter 4. And then as you find it, uh, ask those in here to stand out of respect of God's word as we read it together. Genesis 32 and James 4. We won't read James 4 now, just Genesis 32. I'm going to read you. Uh, beginning down in verse 24 of Genesis 32, a story that I know most of us have heard, and it's a story about uh, Jacob and his encounter with the Lord uh, late one night and a wrestling match that you've probably heard about. And uh, I want to just point out a couple things here that I think are timely, especially for what we're dealing with now and uh, coronavirus and, and everything that's happening and uh, just want to look at a few, a few points here and one main point, really, and out of this encounter with the Lord late one night. Genesis 32, it says in verse 24, And Jacob was left alone. And that, that's, I don't mean to stop too much, but he was left alone. He was in isolation. And uh, are, have we heard about isolation a lot lately? Uh, J- Jacob was left alone. And it says, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. So the angel touches Jacob's joint, his, his thigh, and knocks it out of joint. And you can't stand when that happens. And so Jacob, though, doesn't let go. The angel of the Lord says, let me go, for the day breaketh. And Jacob says, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Verse 27, and he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he, the angel said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. So he knew who he he had seen. This was Christ, a a pre-incarnate version of Jesus Christ. In him, uh, he appeared to Jacob, God face to face. My life is preserved, he says. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and the sinew that shrank. Thank you for standing for God's word. You can go ahead and be seated. Appreciate that. As I've been thinking about uh, what to preach and asking the Lord what to help me preach, this thought has come back to my mind many times, and that is about isolation. Because they're talking about isolation, they're talking about being alone, and, and I don't know about you, but I miss church. 
And I hope there were, at least in hearts everywhere, people saying, amen, I miss church too. Now, I don't want to focus on COVID-19 too much tonight, but it sure has disrupted our lives, hasn't it? I mean, people are sick. We're watching the economy tank. There's growing unrest about when to reopen. There's constant political blame games going on. People are, and then people are isolated from each other. It seems like nothing good has come from this. But I'm finding that something very interesting is true in that the isolation that people are dealing with is causing them to appreciate the things that matter the most. Because they're isolated, and I don't know if it's this way for you in your neighborhood, but because people are at home or people are isolated or they're not at work, maybe their business is closed down, then there's, people are spending more time with their families. Uh, at, in our neighborhood, uh, I spent some time at home this week and we were outside, the weather's nice. It's amazing how many families are doing the same things we were. Uh, they're, they're having walks through the, the neighborhood and they're out on the back patios or, or decks just talking and, and eating together and they're having game nights and they're doing things together like putting puzzles together. I mean, just things that they can do because they're isolated uh, together. I think it's a good, healthy thing. Um, you, if you think about what, o- what else is benefiting from isolation, I think, well, husbands are finally getting to their to-do lists. The honey-do lists might finally be getting done because husbands are home. And, and it's funny because we, at our home, we have a couple projects that we're doing. We always have a couple things we're trying to work on. And right now we have downstairs, we're repainting our basement uh, just to brighten it up a little bit. And then I had the idea, well, I really want to stain the deck because our deck is kind of old. It needs some some repurposing, which is the, the do-it-yourself, uh, the, the popular phrase to use these days. We want to get our deck in good shape. And so I bought all the supplies. I bought the stain. I bought everything. And the last couple of days, um, Aaron and Audrey have actually been staining the deck. So, I mean, you can't really beat that as a husband to get all the supplies for a project and somebody else does it for you. But either way, my honeydew list is getting done, whether or not I'm the one doing it. Uh, isolation has caused us to do some things like that at home, together. Uh, If you think about it, isolation is difficult. But one major benefit I see from it is in the church realm. And that God's people are not taking his house for granted anymore. And maybe you've experienced that. I know I have. I've had countless texts from Eastsiders telling me how much they miss church. And they can't wait till we're all back together and to see everybody again. If nothing else, for the vast majority of people... This isolation has reminded them of how much they need encouragement and how much they need fellowship and how much they need face-to-face communication and accountability. I've said it before, but while I've never been more thankful for technology that allows us to do what we're doing through the videos, I've also never been more convinced of the inadequacy of technology in replacing face-to-face relationships. So while we're thankful for what, what we're able to do through technology. There's prob- there has never been a more important time for us to step back and realize we've been moving toward technology as our basis for, for re- relationships, but it's inadequate. It does not do the job. And all of these lead to my conclusion tonight. As tough as isolation is, God has often used isolation in the lives of his, peach, of his people to teach them important lessons. Sometimes he has to strip away everything else and just get us alone in order to teach us something important. 
Isolation is a great revealer. Here's why. Because it's just you and God. And there's no running. There's no hiding. You have to be confronted with it. It's just you and him. So in isolation, yes, we're at home home and we're together. But there's also a sense of isolation with God. And sometimes he wants his people to get there. Everything else is stripped away. It's kind of like looking in the mirror and turning the lights on and, and just looking and seeing yourself for what you really are. God wants to take us to the place where he confronts us with things. Because, and as hard as loneliness is, it can cause us to seek God in a deeper way. It can be used by God to develop our character. It can create in us a desire to serve and fellowship more. And I'm not saying it's ideal because it's not. But if we respond correctly to this isolation or to isolation in general, then we can become better for it at the end because God can use it to grow us. I read a statement from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he's a famous uh, German uh, pastor and theologian. And he wrote this about the Christian life and how it's actually a balance between community and solitude. He said this, If you refuse to be alone, you're rejecting Christ's call to you, and you can have no part in the community of those who are called. He said again, if you refuse to be alone when you are, uh, if you refuse to be alone, you are rejecting Christ's call to you, and you can have no part in the community of those who are called. What he's saying is that it's absolutely essential for, in order for a Christian to be part of a community where he's making a difference in the people around him, He has to take the time for solitude. He has to take the time alone. The isolation prepares us for ministry and being a blessing. It is in solitude that we grow and we grow deeper with God and we learn lessons about God and from God and through God and he grows us to the point where we can be then beneficial in the community setting. It's a balance between solitude and community. And I think a lot of Christians... They ignore this part of solitude and they simply live over here in community. Meaning that everything about their Christian life is done in front of other people. They go to church, they teach a class, they serve, they sing in the choir, they stand up here and and sing or play or or they're greeters or, or they're junior church workers and they're doing everything they do about their Christian life is done in community, in a community setting. But what that is is a very pharisaical mindset Because the Pharisees did everything that they did to be seen of men. And Jesus Christ told them they have their reward. No, we need the times of solitude when it's just us and God in order to be what we're supposed to be in the community. And I think that we have a nation that is generally defined in Christianity as those who live in the community, but they neglect the solitude. We have failed to see the benefit of isolation But God has always grown his people in moments of isolation. Think about it. Think about Noah. You talk about the ultimate family quarantine. Noah on the ark. You know, for all that time, it was just them. They were stuck inside. They had to get creative. I don't know if they did puzzles or or played the Xbox. I don't know, whatever they did. Um, At least the boat was big and they had room to go when they needed space. But the ultimate family quarantine... God had to have Noah by himself and his family. He really isolated him to teach him that God was in control and righteousness is most important and you can trust God's word. Some lessons that Noah learned in isolation. I think about Joseph. You talk about being isolated. 
He was left alone in the bottom of a pit. He was thrown into isolation in prison. And God had to teach him to trust and that God would bring his word back around. But he learned those lessons in isolation. David, David stood all by himself in the valley of Elam and he faced the giant by himself, all alone, isolated. But he saw that day that God is able and he's able to overcome our greatest enemies. But it's also because David had been prepared in isolation watching sheep and when a bear came along or a lion came along, God was teaching David his most important lessons. Where? Not in community, but in isolation. Think about Daniel. He sat alone all night with a bunch of lions in isolation. God taught him about faith. He isolated himself and he prayed. And God taught him lessons about having faith and doing what's right. And I mean, not only that, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the, with the king's meat. I mean, God, he learned lessons in isolation. Jeremiah was in the bottom of a prison cell in isolation. The prodigal son, when did he come to himself and come to his senses? Was it when he was at church with all, or, or when he was without, uh, partying with all of his friends? No, he came to his senses when he was in solitude by himself. He came to his senses. God reaches us very often or teaches us in isolation. Paul, he was sitting in a prison cell in isolation, and yet he wrote a good part of the New Testament from, that prison, from those prison cells he was in. Jesus himself. You think isolation or solitude is not important. Jesus Christ himself very often went away. He went apart. He isolated himself from everybody else and went into the garden to commune with his father. If Jesus needed those times of solitude, then we do too. And maybe tonight it's the time to stop looking at the isolation as something negative and look at it as perhaps God, God wants to teach us something through the isolation. He wants to grow us in one sense in the isolation. He wants to give us more of a heart for his people when we get back together. He wants to change our character. He wants to give us a, a bigger heart for him. It's tough to be alone. But God teaches Jacob something important in isolation. And I'm not going to give you all the background. We could spend a lot of time in it. But Jacob is headed home after 20 years away. Remember, he had left home because he had stolen Esau's birthright. And the last time he saw Esau, Esau wanted to kill him. And he had, Jacob had had to leave because of Esau's anger. Jacob had deceived his own father because he couldn't see well, pretended to be Esau, stole the birthright. And then Esau heard about it and got upset and Jacob left. He had to go into isolation because of his actions. And we, we see him uh, as he's isolated, learning some lessons and getting closer to God and being reconfirmed about the, uh, the covenant that God was giving to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their family. Uh, so, but he has to leave. He has to go and be isolated. And he ends up at Uncle Laban's house uh, with nothing. He basically shows up with the clothes on his back. But after 20 years, God has blessed Jacob in a tremendous way. And Jacob is not leaving Laban like, he, like he, when he first got there. He's leaving with wives and children and flocks and herds. He's an immensely wealthy person. God blessed him in an incredible way when he got to Laban's house. Well, now, though, it's time to leave. And he knows it's time to leave because Laban keeps changing his wages. And he, he, Laban's not looking at him like the way he used to look at him. He can tell it's time to go. You know when you've overstayed your welcome. Jacob then takes all of his wives and his children and his possessions and his flocks. And he packs them up and he leaves. And that's where we pick up in the story. He's headed back to his homeland. But on his way, he encounters 
something. See, bad news starts at this chapter, and I'm not going to read all the verses. I'm just going to give you a rundown. But we find that Jacob comes to this place, um, and as he comes then, he, he sends messengers to Esau, and his, his brother is not, they're not quite to where Esau lives there in Edom, but he sends messengers to let Esau know, listen, I'm coming to you, but I'm not coming to take anything from you. I don't need anything. I'm a wealthy person. I'm just traveling through the land to get back to our homeland, to get back to where our parents live. And he says, I'm just coming through. Um, he says, and so he sends servants and he says, tell Esau, go to him and say, Esau, my Lord, tell him, Jacob, thy servant. And I have great wealth. I don't, I'm not coming to start a fight. That's basically the idea. Well, he thinks, well, maybe that will, Esau will be fine with that. But it, it appears that Esau is not fine with it because his servants come back saying, we did what you said. We were humble. We called him Esau, my Lord. But I'm just letting you know that, that Esau is coming with 400 of his men. So if you have a more, an enemy named uh, Esau who wanted to kill you the last time you saw him, and now you hear that he's coming back to you or towards you with 400 men, do you think it's a welcoming party? No. You would assume that he's coming to take you out. So Jacob then gets an idea. He divides the people and the herds into two groups. And, and really, honestly, he puts his favorites in one group. And then the ones that aren't his favorites, he puts in another group. And, and he th- is thinking is if Esau, if Esau attacks this group, then the others can have time to escape and go to safety. By the way, this is Jacob's MO his whole life, his mode of operation. He's always the guy that's trying to work an angle. He's the salesman who's trying to figure his way out uh, on his own. And his MO is, I'm going to do something, put a plan into place that will, that will help me, and benefit me. You see it early in his life when, he's, when he uh, bought Esau's birthright in the blessing um, there with the, the pottage. You know, he, he sawed this pottage and he tricked Esau and said, okay, give me your blessing. Then we see it when he puts skins on his arms to pretend to be Harry Esau and deceives his father for the birthright. You see it even when he went to Uncle Laban's house and how he's trying to manipulate the flocks and the herds, those that were ring-straked and striped, and he's trying to separate them so that those were all his. And he's always manipulating. He's always working an angle. That's Jacob. And he's doing it right here now as well. So then Jacob sends waves of peace offerings to Esau. He's trying to get Esau to, to realize, I'm not here to take anything from you. So he, he, say, he takes his flocks and his herds and he starts sending them in waves to Esau to let him know, I'm not here to start a fight. And the final step of his plan is he takes his sons and their mothers and he sends them across the river for added protection. That's Jacob's mode of operation. He's always trying to do things in his own strength. He's always trying to be self-dependent so that he can uh, work things to his advantage. So after sending the gifts and dispersing the people, in verse 24, Jacob was left alone. Everybody else is gone. His flocks are gone. His wives and sons are gone. It's just him in the wilderness. Everything he's worked to build in the last 20 years is, is in a precarious situation. He's terrified. But he's not alone for long. We find soon that he finds himself in a wrestling match. And you say, well, that, is, that is so strange. I mean, of all the things, I mean, uh, you might as well say Jacob was left alone and there came a man and challenged him to a game of, of ping pong. Like, what? I mean, it's just out of the blue. Jacob's all alone in the wilderness and suddenly he's wrestling. 
And this man just appears and starts wrestling. And that is what guys do. I know that I mean, if you've ever been around guys or young men, a wrestling match could break out at any moment. It's just the way it is. But you don't expect it in the wilderness when you're all alone. This guy appears and starts wrestling. And who is it? Well, we find out in verse 30, as we already read, that Jacob says, I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. The man that came to Jacob is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Jacob is wrestling the son of God. And you would think it would be a short match, don't you? Well, but we find here that says they wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. This wrestling match lasts all night. Jacob is one of those guys who cannot give up. You've met people like that. I mean, if it's in an argument or in a wrestling match, literally, there are some guys or some people, they just won't give up. Jacob is that kind of guy. He's probably close to 100 years old in this story. He's not a young man, and yet he's wrestling with, with the Son of God all night long. It's just another example of Jacob's stubborn will. He's one of those guys that just will not give up. He's in a fight he can't win, but he won't give in. When verse 25 When God sees, it says, when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. When God sees that that Jacob won't quit, uh, um, he reaches down and simply touches Jacob's hip and puts it out of socket so the match will have to end. And before we move on, I have to ask, what's going on here? I mean, why in the middle of the night does God show up and start a wrestling match with Jacob. Well, the purpose of the wrestling match, I believe many say that this purpose of this match was that to teach us about prayer. And listen, should we be persistent in prayer? Yeah, we should be persistent in prayer. Should we, should we pray and be tenacious and not give up easily? Absolutely. And I think there are things to learn about prayer here, but I don't think that's the, the primary purpose. Here's why, because Jacob didn't start the wrestling match. If Jacob had been the initiator of this, I do believe that that would be the purpose. But God came to Jacob. So obviously God has a purpose in coming to Jacob and starting a wrestling match with him in the middle of the night. See, God wants to teach Jacob something. Well, what is it? Well, just in order to illustrate this, my son Jace is here. I'm going to have him come up here and just show you a couple things. You can just come stand right here. Mostly because all you've seen on the, the video uh, the last few weeks is me. And I figured, you know what? If we have this little guy, this is a little bit easier to look at, okay? So Jacob is the guy that won't give up, okay? Jacob is the guy in, that is just one of those guys that won't give up. And he spends most of the night doing what he always does, wrestling with God, trying to f- figure things out in his own strength. See, God's intention was not to escape here. If it were, God could have escaped at any time, couldn't he? God could have gotten out of this situation very simply. But when Jacob won't give up, God just touches his hip and puts it out of joint. And it would have rendered Jacob helpless. If you, I mean, I can't imagine what, what your hip out of joint would be. But you wouldn't even be able to stand on your own. It would be like breaking, um, if, if you're a quarterback or a pitcher, it'd be like breaking your, your arm You cannot function as a wrestler if your hip is out of joint. And so what they do is they start, you know, they're wrestling. And I'm going to just show you what I believe is really happening here. So Jace Jace did a little bit of wrestling this year. Uh, Brother Juan was trying to teach him some moves. And and he he went to one one match and did pretty good. Show me one of your moves, Jace. Just do something for me. This move right here where you grab a guy and you try to take him down. Okay, that's enough. Thank you. 
He's, he's tenacious, little Jacob, or little Jacob right here, okay? So that was a good move. Now, let's just wrestle for a minute. You just, let's just try to get each other. So this is what's happening all night long. And they're wrestling. Jacob won't give up. Then the angel, uh, this man that appears to God, really Jesus, uh, reaches down and he touches his hip. And so rather than wrestling, if your hip is now out of joint, you can no longer wrestle. So what do you have to do in that moment if you want to stay upright? What do you do then, Jace? You have to cling. So, so again, they're wrestling, they're wrestling, then his hip is out of joint, and then Jacob does what? He clings. See, a lot of people look at this and say, when he said, when it says he would not let him go, they're thinking, there goes Jacob. He's so tenacious that even with his hip is out of joint, he won't let go of God. But I don't necessarily believe that's what's happening. I believe that Jacob has transitioned from wrestling now to clinging, because if he, can't, if he lets go of God, he will fall to the earth. He can't stand on his own. Thank you, Jace. That's excellent wrestling. Appreciate it. See, there's a difference, though, between wrestling and clinging. See, if God touches Jacob's hip, he can't even stand anymore. And God could say, Jacob, you're, 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 you can wrestle all you want, but you cannot win against me. Jacob, there's no use striving and fighting and struggling against my will anymore. So when Jacob wouldn't quit, God finally says, well, if you won't give up, then I will take away your resources. I will strip everything away from you, including your ability to even stand. And Jacob comes to the point where he can't help but cling to God. He's got nothing left except the strength of God to carry him. And Jacob is no longer self-sufficient. He's no longer trusting in his own strength. He's got nothing left except the strength and power of God to help him stand. And he says, I will not let thee go. That's like him saying, I cannot let you go, God. I have nothing left. He's at the point of saying, God, you are all I have. Then he asks for a blessing uh, from from God. And notice he's not saying, um, he's not trying to force his way into a blessing this time. He's not manipulating. He's simply asking God to bless him. He's completely at the end of himself, and he knows he has nothing if he doesn't have God. He can't even stand up if he doesn't have God's strength right now. He has nothing if he doesn't have God's blessings. And it's at this point that God asks him a very important question. God says, what is thy name? I mean, why would God ask Jacob his name? He knows Jacob's name. But if it wasn't for God's benefit, whose benefit was it for? Why believe in asking Jacob what his name is? That was, J- that was God's way of getting Jacob to confront who he really is. It's almost as if God has brought Jacob to the same place he was 20 years before. When Isaac, his father, said, asked him, what, who art thou, my son? Only, and only then Jacob answered, I'm Esau, thy firstborn. He was lying to his father. 20 years earlier, Jacob couldn't admit who he was. Well, now, because Jacob, you know what it means? It means deceiver. It means supplanter. It means trying to manipulate your life. But this time he has to answer honestly. And instead of saying Esau, he says, I'm Jacob. I'm, I'm deceiver. I'm supplanter. And I don't believe he answered with pride. I mean, I, if you're clinging to somebody's neck and you can't even stand up, are you saying, oh yeah, my name is Jacob. Look at all my wrestling medals. No. You're clinging to the neck in, in a humility. You're saying, I'm Jacob. God, I'm deceiver. I am supplanter. I, I have no strength in myself. In my la- life, my life, my way. 
has led me to the point where I literally have nothing left. I'm a deceiver. I'm the man who stole uh, the blessing from my, from my brother and deceived my father. I lied to my father. I had to leave home because my brother wanted to kill me. I'm Jacob, but I'm tired of being Jacob. So God brings Jacob to the point of finally confessing who he truly is. He's a sinner. He's a deceiver. He isn't the kind of guy that gives in and not in a good way. He's wrestled with God his whole life. But at this moment, we see a turning point. Jacob has finally admitted who he is. And he finally realizes that God's blessing is the only thing that could make our lives matter. And then in verse 28, God gives Jacob a new name, Israel. There's plenty of discussion about what it means, and but one meaning could be God prevails or God commands, and that's a fitting name for Jacob here. He's finally surrendered to God. God is finally prevailed through Jacob. God basically says, listen, you've been contending for so long, and you've succeeded. You've contended for the birthright and the blessing, and you got your way. You contended with Laban, and you got larger herds and flocks. You You've contended with men. You've had success. But listen, Jacob, now that you are contending with God, I want you to see it's pointless. Your name is now Israel. And let it be a reminder to you that surrendering to me is never losing. See, why does the angel say, why does the man say, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed? Well, this is a picture of what Jacob will become as Israel. He will be an influential servant of God. But it says Jacob had power with God and prevailed. Does that mean Jacob beat God in wrestling? No, prevailed means contend or persevere. This means that when Jacob could do nothing else except cling, he did not let go. And different people have different interpretations, but I truly believe that when your hip is, is out of joint and you've got nothing to do except cling, Jacob's will to hold on to God prevailed. He would not let him go. You can't gain God's favor by wrestling with him. He'll always win. But you can gain God's favor when at the end of yourself, you you cling to him so tightly that you refuse to let go. That humble clinging resulted in God's blessings just like it did for Jacob. Look over at James 4. James chapter 4. I don't want you to see these verses Again, this is Jacob clinging, and God, because Jacob clinged, was clinging to God, that God gave him special blessing and grace. Look at verse 6, James 4, 6. It says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves. You know what that means? Tap out. Submit there yourselves, therefore to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, cling to God. And he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. That's what Jacob is doing here. Jacob has said, I've got nothing left. I'm I'm a sinner. I'm Jacob. I'm deceiver. I'm planner. I'm supplanter. God, I have to hold on to you because you're all I have. You're my only strength. You're my only help. That's exactly what's happening here. God blessed Jacob when when he would not let go. Not while wrestling, but while clinging. When he finally came to the end of himself, when he finally surrendered all he had, God said, your name is no longer Jacob, deceiver. You are now Israel, commanded by God. And here's where we see a lesson in isolation. You see, 
God wants to teach, teach Jacob that the only life of blessing comes when we are wholly dependent on God. The name Jacob is represented, it represented self-dependence. The name Israel represents God-dependence. And you're in isolation right now. Right now, you're, for the most part, with your family or by yourself, you're in isolation. And I just wonder, maybe God has you there because he wants to teach you what life should be like when you live God-dependently instead of self-dependently. Truth is, in America, we've had it pretty easy. We don't have to really depend on God all that much to survive our days. We just kind of go about, well, it's not been that way for about a month and a half now. Things are different. Things have changed. And maybe in isolation, God wants to teach the people of Eastside Baptist Church that their lives have been too self-dependent. Maybe he has taken everything that we have and stripped it away so that all we see is God and there's nowhere else to turn and there's no other strength to have. Only God can help us through this thing. Maybe God wants to teach that to you in your own personal life. Maybe you've lived your day so self-dependent and you've left God out of them. What's your name? Is it Jacob or Israel? If it's Jacob, then you live in full command of your life and you do your own thing and you're in control and you've wrestled away control of the areas of your life and you're living in your strength. Are you Jacob in full command of your life? You can try it, but it's not going to help you in the areas that matter most. I'm thinking about salvation. If somebody out there is listening and you're not saved, you can try to be Jacob where you control things yourself, but you will never make heaven on your own. Only when you cling to the hope that God has given us through the cross can you get to heaven. Eternal life can be yours as long as you let go of your plans and accept God's plans. I think about the Christian life. Listen, you're either a Jacob Christian or you're an Israel Christian. You're either living in your daily life in your strength or in God's. We'd be surprised, I think, how many Christians just live their lives and they only seek God when they face a problem too big for them to handle. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. It says, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. In all thy ways uh, lean on God, and, and let him direct your paths. See, listen, you have to stop thinking that you can handle most of life's problems, and, and you only need God for the big ones. And yet I believe that's how many of God's people live. They handle life themselves until they need God. It's like a 911 number. You know, everything's pretty good. The few times in your life you need to call 911, then God, the hotline is there. I'll give him a call. No, listen, the truth is, there's nothing in your life that you were meant to handle without God's help. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways. I don't know about you, but all means all. If you've ever looked it up, you should. Everything, small, big, it doesn't matter. If there's anything in your life that you lean on your own wisdom and your own strength to help you with, then you've left God out of the process and instead of clinging to God, you're wrestling with Him. Just assume that every decision, every moment, every problem in your life is too big for you to handle on your own. A Jacob Christian lives his life on his own strength. They handle their own problems in their own wisdom. They don't ask for help. They talk when they should be listening and they manipulate circumstances in their own strength. 
But an Israel Christian serves the scripture for God's wisdom and lives by it. Gets counsel before big decisions. Listens to and responds to preaching in God's word. Assumes that every day is too big for them. Praise the prayer Jesus Christ told us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, God, I need you today, Lord. I have no strength or wisdom on my own. Even, though the, even if there's nothing big today, it's too big for me. Listen, there's not a day in your life that you don't need God. So stop living that way. Or your name is Jacob. If you only seek God when you need him, what obligates him to help you in those times? You know, it's possible to be Jacob in a lot of areas. We've got Jacob parents, probably. They raise kids in their own wisdom or the way they were raised. But to be an Israel parent means that you realize that this is too big. I must pray for God's help and seek his word and raise my kids God's way and get good, good counsel. I think we probably have, um, and I've done it myself too, we probably have those that serve that are Jacob teachers. Jacob teachers where they teach every week in their own strength and they're not really using or utilizing God's help or strength. But with the Israel teachers though will realize I am conveying and imparting truth that could change a child's eternity. I need your help, God. I cannot do this on my own. Yes, I know they're kids, but this is a big deal, God. Their eternity might be hanging on the words that I say. I don't ever want to do this in my own strength. I don't want to be a Jacob teacher. I want to be an Israel teacher. In other ministries, if you're involved in music, don't be a Jacob musician. Be an Israel musician. Don't be a Jacob sound man. Be an Israel sound man. Don't be a Jacob junior church worker. Be an Israel junior church worker. Don't be a Jacob greeter. Be an Israel greeter. Don't be a Jacob bus worker where you're doing it all in your own strength and just going through the motions. Be an Israel bus worker where you depend on God for his help. Don't be a Jacob soul winner where you're just kind of giving out a track every once in a while or knocking on a door or approaching somebody uh, just to give them the gospel in your own strength. No, ask God for his help. Jacob's operate in their own strength, but Israel's cling to God for his. God won't bless a Jacob mindset. They'll live their whole lives doing things in their strength and wisdom, and they'll have their reward. But when we trust in the Lord in all our ways, and we live in his strength and power, our reward is that he directs our path. He blesses us. Maybe it's time for you to stop wrestling God and give him control. In wrestling, James 4 calls it submit. In wrestling, it's called a tap out. You know what? That's usually a bad thing. It means you gave up, but it's never a bad thing to tap out when it comes to God. What's the lesson you need to learn in isolation? What's the one thing in your isolated life right now that God's asking you to tap out in. He says, this is an area you think you've been, you've been controlling a long time. And my lesson to you in isolation is I want to confront you with what you really are, Jacob. And it's time to tap out. It's time to give that to God and stop being Jacob and become Israel. Maybe it's your fear and anxiety. Tap out. Let the sovereign king, who has a throne that is still being sat on, by the way, Let him be who he is. He's in control, he has a plan, and he loves you. Tap out. When it comes to your finances, stop coming up with schemes to make it work and and get rich quick, or, or, you know, what can I do to kind of manipulate what I have? No, tap out. Let God take care of it. He promised in Matthew 6 that if you put him first, he'll take care of all the rest. In that relationship you're struggling in, tap out. Let God have it. 
Stop trying to manipulate the circumstances. Today's lesson from isolation is with God, the best way to win is to just give in. The best way to win is to just give in. You ever noticed the ears of a wrestler? I mean, a cauliflower ear is what they call it. And it's usually a sign of, of, for a wrestler, it's kind of a badge of honor. But really, it's a scar. Well, after Jacob's wrestling match with God, he limped the rest of his life. That's, that dislocated hip meant he just walked around with a limp his whole life. He had scars because rather than submitting, rather than tapping out, he wrestled God. rest of his life, he, he walked with a limp because he didn't give in. Listen, the longer we wrestle and refuse to give in, the more likely we will be to have scars. And if you fight God long enough, you're going to deal with consequences that leave scars. But you don't have to. You could just submit or tap out and not have to bear those scars of pride the rest of your life. And today, I truly believe that there are lessons in isolation that God wants to teach you. And I don't know what area you've been controlling, what area you've been holding on to and you've refused to let God have. It's time to tap out. What one thing by the end of this isolation, isolation period does God want to have control of that you have control of right now? What one area? Don't waste the isolation and miss the lesson God has for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to have a time of invitation. Not going to linger too long. I'm going to just have the piano play for a couple verses. What one area, folks, what one area are you in control of in your own life that you need to submit to God? Tap out. If you are controlling something in your life, then you're Jacob. It's time to release it and become Israel. Maybe in your relationship with your spouse. Maybe in your own walk with God, your daily walk with God, you're doing things in your own strength and you need to give your days to God and, and live in his strength. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it might be some besetting sin that nobody else knows about and it's your own little control right here and it's time to release it rather than, let it, rather than wrestle with God about it and have a scar at the end. I'm asking you to submit the one thing that you think God wants to teach you in this isolation Period. It's just you and him. There's no way to hide it. There's no way around it. You've got to be confronted. Rather than wrestle, tap out. It's time. Be an Israel Christian. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.